Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss the prospects for the UK economy and capital markets under the leadership of Prime Minister Johnson, what more the European Central Bank can do, and whether the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates next week, with Toby Cross, Head of Client Investment Solutions, Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, and Sophie Traherne from Government Relations. Well, in a week that saw 48,000 lightning strikes in the UK, temperatures soar above 100 degrees Fahrenheit and the appointment of another Prime Minister, just as you thought things couldn't get any stranger, we're joined by Will Hobbs from the investment strategy team. But don't worry, to preserve normalcy and present some political yin to Will's investment yang, we've also got Sophie Traherne from our government relations department. So let's pop on the sunglasses of investment truth and lie back and bask in in this week's Word on the Street. Sophie, as the UK experiences record temperatures, have things heated up in Downing Street following the Prime Minister's first discussions with the EU? Uh, yes, so we had a statement from uh, Boris uh, when he was appointed on Wednesday, uh, followed by a statement to the House of Commons uh, yesterday. Um, and in terms of what he said on the EU, um, he was very clear that uh, he wants to restore trust in our democracy. He wants to fulfil the promises to the British people and come out of the EU on October the 31st. No ifs or buts. Um, Part of his strategy is talking about uh, being committed to getting rid of the Northern Ireland backstop. This is something he reiterated in Parliament yesterday. He described it as divisive and anti-democratic. And uh, Brussels, needless to say, reacted very strongly to this. Uh, Michel Barnier, in 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 a note to EU leaders, said that this was unacceptable. And he actually said that uh, Boris's speech was rather combative. So we're in a bit of a standoff at the moment between the UK and the EU. Um, the other point to, to mention that Boris made is he wants to ramp up preparations for a no deal. Uh, he's been clear that this is not because he necessarily wants uh, a no deal, but because it's the right thing to prepare for one. So his strategy is to be really firm with the EU, uh, show that the UK means it when we talk about a no deal, and in the hope that this threat of a no deal might see some movement from the EU. And is that pretty much what Michael Gove is working on for him. Yeah, so Michael Gove's been appointed uh, to the Cabinet Office position at the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster and is very much overseeing that side of of Brexit, the no deal preparations. Um, So we'll probably hear a bit more from him uh, over the next few weeks. Now, Will, you've often said that this is a political problem, not an economic problem. Has there been any reaction in markets to the news of our new Prime Minister? It is an economic problem, but it's just a UK economic problem rather than a global economic problem, I think would be the... Sorry to be a pedant. No, I stand corrected. But but, uh, in terms of the market reaction, there were were many more things that grabbed the market headlines Um, uh, yesterday. uh, I mean, it's earnings season, so lots of companies are reporting results. That was the thing that kind of really moved markets. With regards to sort of, you know, pricing, the sort of sterling pricing and... Uh, the sort of thoughts on uh, whether you the chances of exiting without a deal are rising. Um, a lot of that has been incorporated into the price over the course of the campaign trail uh, for the leadership. So this was something that markets, uh, you know, a Boris Johnson premiership was something that markets were more or less expecting. It seemed to be the thing from quite a way out. So uh, markets were more or less ready, you assume. And how about currency? Because it's not the case that currency exists in an isolated bubble on its own. It's a relative trade. So compared to Europe or the euro, compared to the US dollar, has sterling fairing? There's a lot going on in currency land at the moment, or there's a lot going on in markets, and and, and a lot of it really hinges on this idea that um, the world's major central bankers um, have become a bit more concerned about the outlook. Uh, So in Europe and the US, um, uh, particularly, uh, they are now looking to take a bit more action 
um, to try and um, uh, stimulate the economy a little bit. They feel that uh, uh, there may be some preemptive action in the US that they can take. Uh, and in Europe, they uh, need to take a lot more. And that has had an effect um, on, on the euro, certainly euro crosses. With regards to sterling specifically, um, there are a couple of stories doing the rounds. You know, one of them is obviously, you know, um, the, the potential for an exit without a deal. And, you know, that, that evolving probability is always having an influence on sterling. The other thing that people are sort of talking about a bit more, and I'm not sure how much of an influence this is on the, uh, the currency crosses, but um, the chances of a general election are perceived to be rising. Um, and with that rises um, the chances of a Labour government. Some people are arguing that if you're looking at um, the way the UK economy is set up, one of the things that's long been the case is that we've relied on the kindness of strangers to fund our spending habits to a certain extent. And that's a, that's a credit, you know, it's the fact that we're you know, stable and boring and grey people that people are willing to lend to us. Now, the fact that we're a little bit less grey and boring at the moment and the returns on offer in the UK economy uh, are pretty meagre, you know, best kind of described by the, uh, you know, the government bond market, that may suggest uh, to some um, that weaker sterling is needed to still encourage those uh, kind strangers to, uh, to fund our, uh, our spending habits. So that's one of the things that's been going on in the background. Good. And we'll get back to central banks in a minute because there's a lot of central bank news this week. Sophie, back to you, if I may. We've had a huge shake-up in the cabinet. In fact, the biggest parliamentary, or the biggest cabinet change in parliamentary history. Back in 1962, Harold Macmillan made the biggest changes, the Night of the Long Knives. The Sun dubbed the changes that the Prime Minister made as the Night of the Blonde Knives. <laughs> Harold Macmillan changed a third of his cabinet. Boris Johnson, through expulsion or resignation, has changed over 50%. What does the new cabinet look like? Yeah, reshuffles are like transfer deadline day for political journalists. Lots of speculation and excitement, and this one certainly didn't uh, disappoint. So 17 ministers were sacked or resigned from Theresa May's cabinet. Uh, fairly dramatic numbers. And there are sort of a few things we can conclude from the new look cabinet. Uh, first and foremost, the Brexiteers really have taken back control. The top cabinet jobs have gone to genuine Brexit believers, obviously, Boris leading from Downey Street, Michael Gove, who we've already mentioned in the Cabinet Office, uh, Dominic Raab at the Foreign Office, Priti Patel at the Home Office. That's four senior vote leave figures in some of the nation's most powerful jobs. And it's not just the ministers. Many of the new political advisers are uh, from the vote leave campaign. So these are the people behind the scenes. And you might have read about uh, the appointment of Dominic Cummings, former director of vote leave, who's been appointed as a sort of chief of staff role to Boris um, And all this sort of shows it's a clear indication that the focus of of this administration is on delivering Brexit. Um, It's also quite a campaign heavy government. All these people brought in from the Vote Leave uh, campaign and that's rising speculation that these appointments are actually there to help prepare for an early general election. I I was going to ask that. It almost feels like the Prime Minister's positioning for an early general election. What would the timeline of that and the mechanics look like? Yeah, so, I mean, you can have a general election in in, in two ways outside of the the normal cycle. Um, Boris can call a general election. He can call a snap general election, just like Theresa May did. Um, uh, Or he can be forced into one by emotional no confidence going down in the Houses of Parliament. Um, and winning by uh, just a, a simple majority. And worth mentioning at this point, his majority in the House of Commons is incredibly slim. Um, it's, technically, it's two at the moment. There is a by-election in Wales uh, on the 1st of August. Uh, it's not looking great for the Tories. So if they lose that, he will literally have a majority of one. Well, and of course, when I think back to the early general election that Theresa May called, that really didn't go in her favour. What, what, what does the outlook look like for, for Boris? 
Um, the, the polling's interesting, um, as always. Um, you still have a situation where there are kind of four parties vying for, uh, well, obviously vying for, for votes, but you've got uh, around, all, of, all of them are around the sort of 20% mark. You'd normally have uh, Labour and the Conservatives battling around in the 30s. So the Liberal Democrats will be important. They've obviously got a new leader as well. The SNP will come into play. Um, you've also got the Brexit Party, uh, which, you know, a Johnson uh, um, prime ministership might actually neutralise that bit um, but you do have the threat of the Brexit party eating into conservative votes as well so there are lots of uh, lots of considerations for a general election oh my word well you might be forgiven for thinking that Europe is all about politics at the moment but if you look hard enough you can see evidence of an economy and yesterday the European Central Bank met will what were they discussing well it, it, we touched on this earlier but they're, they're really thinking about um, what more they can do uh, to stimulate the economy, and like I said, you know, both both the Federal Reserve and the ECB are thinking, you know, very clearly about, or, or thinking um, uh, much more concretely about what they can do now to kind of get inflation up to target and get you know stimulate growth. Now, the Fed has a very different problem uh, to the ECB. The Fed um, growth is much stronger, and the toolbox, uh, the monetary toolbox, the central bank toolbox is much uh, uh, much fuller. Um, the ECB, uh, you know, rates are already uh, very low, negative, um, and growth is a bit weaker. So they've maybe got a bit more of a task. They didn't do anything just yet, uh, but action does seem to be coming down the pipeline, as it seems to be with the Federal Reserve as well. So I was going to, before we get on to the Federal Reserve, it looks like there might be a rate cut in September. That's certainly what the market is pricing for the ECB. Does that mean that we have problems with the European economy? Or is this just central bankers managing things as they should be? It's a hot debate at the moment. Um, one of the things that's been disappointing about Europe in the last couple of years is that while we were trudging to the polls in the UK back in the middle of 2016, suddenly Europe had, and the world, everyone excluding the UK pretty much, um, had this kind of unlooked for boom in investment and, uh, and everyone was kind of like, right, here we finally go, the recovery started. Um, but that has petered out um, since then, through a series of kind of self-inflicted and unfortunate blows, um, and Europe hasn't really kind of recovered from shipping those blows from things like, uh, you know, the imposition of new um, uh, uh, auto emission standards or uh, and so on and so on and so on. And, and that meant that there was a big retooling of the factories and obviously the gilets jaunes and all so on and so on and so on. So Europe has been a bit accident prone. Um, and certainly from the ECB perspective, the central bankers should be a bit worried. Uh, inflation is below target and they do need to get um inflation up a little bit. I think that's 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 the main worry from their perspective. So that's the ECB. You mentioned the Fed. They, of course, are meeting next week. We've had a lot of dovish rhetoric out of the Fed. What can investors expect? Yeah, this is an altogether a little bit stranger situation, because if you look at the US economy and look at the data coming in, it just doesn't look that weak. Um, sure, there was um, uh, what you found is that some of those kind of, you know, the juice uh, from those tax cuts and all those kind of early enacted um, boosts to the economy by the, the Trump regime, um, they faded a bit quicker than some people expected. Um, but if you're looking at um, some measures of inflation, there's something called the Dallas trimmed mean, which people look at, uh, and that basically excludes the most extreme changes in consumer goods and services. That's bang on 2%. 
Um, so actually, you know, although it does seem like we're going to get um, a small cut in interest rates and bond markets are pricing in a lot more than that, to be honest, I think they're pricing close to, you know, the, the, the bond market in general is pricing about 100 basis points of further rate, rate cuts uh, in the next 12 months, close to. So, so the, the, and the US, of course, has room to have a rate it cut does, cycle. It does, it does. But I think what well, they're more sounding, um, you know, the, 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 the rhetoric from the bankers to us sounds a little bit more um, like this is a precautionary cut, um, you know, an adjustment to monetary policy coming rather than the beginning of a long sort of you know rate cut cycle because the economy just doesn't look that weak. So that central bank, Sophie, of course, we've just found out we've got a new chancellor. What can you tell us about Sajid Javid as the chancellor? Yeah, so he's been promoted from his role as uh, Home Secretary. Um, he has a background in financial services. Uh, he's also seen as a bit of a Thatcherite. He's been a vocal advocate of lower taxes and deregulation. And I think there is generally a sense that we will um, see more public spending. You know, austerity is over. Um, public spending will be refocused on things like education and social care and You'll have seen today an announcement about policing, uh, 20,000 more police officers on the streets. Boris Johnson's gone to the West Midlands to make this announcement with the new Home Secretary. So I think we can expect some uh, significant changes uh, in the approach from the Treasury compared to Philip Hammond. Um, So I think definitely keep an eye on what's going on uh, in the Treasury. Well, it's been an extremely busy week for our analysts and government relations team. I hope they managed to find some time over the weekend to relax. All that remains is for me to thank our guests, Sophie Traherne from Government Relations and Will Hobbs, our Chief Investment Officer, and to wish you all an excellent weekend. That's the word on the street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.